I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Welcome back, everybody, to your Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. As always, it's your usual Monday hosts in the usual Monday chairs. Ian Mendes, Haley Salvian with you for the next hour or so. Coming up, uh, we're going to have a little fun with a conversation with Joe Smith. Of course, he covers the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning. We'll talk about uh, their mindset heading into the playoffs, a potential first-round date with Toronto, uh, where they might like to fit in, who's a good matchup. Uh, all of that coming up uh, with uh, with Joe Smith. We're going to talk about some playoff races. It's not really a race in the East. The eight teams are set. Uh, in the West, though, boy, LA and Vegas is going to be a lot of fun the last couple of weeks of the season. Uh, do we want to see McDavid and Eichel in round one? Do we want Vegas to miss the playoffs? St. Louis has been on a heater, too. Uh, we should talk about that. There's a lot to get to. Coming up, uh, we'll do some multiple choice madness as well, in, including uh, who deserves to win the draft lottery? the most this season. Arizona, Seattle, Detroit, somebody else. We got to get to all of that coming up in this Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. We bring in Haley Salvian uh, on this Monday. I got to just real quick ask you this off the top, Haley. Because I took some heat. Well, I took, uh, we'll talk about the other heat I took on, on Twitter in a moment. I took some heat for saying that I don't like ham at Easter. I feel like ham is overrated. Mm, no. Overrated. I'm a ham. I love. I like ham at Easter. My mom. I think it depends how you make it. Like if it's just like a store bought honey ham, and you're not doing anything to it. Yeah, it's like could just taste like sliced deli meat. <laughs> but my mom does like really good glaze. Like her ham is really good. She'll do like orange. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. My mom's. So we did. I didn't even really realize this weekend was Easter because. On trade deadline day, I flew home a day early before Trade Center because I was in Toronto. So I went home to see my parents, and we did um, we did Easter a month ago. <laughs> so my mom made like a nice Easter dinner, and she got my chocolate bunny because obviously the grocery store is getting ready for Easter a month in advance. So we did Easter then, and we had a ham, and it was good. I don't know. I like ham. I, I my my parents have never done like lamb or roast beef or anything on. On Easter, it's always been a ham, and turkey oh. on Thanksgiving. Yeah, I took I took some heat for it. I put lamb, a ham at like four hundredth on my rankings, and this guy wrote back. He said, "Couldn't agree with you more." He said, "Ham at Easter, it's the equivalent of Keith Yandel. It's just there, oh. and it's been around for so long that it's the go-to for everybody." He, no, he, it's the key. He said it's the Keith Yandel of uh, of meals. <laughs> it's just it's just there. Well, not anymore because Keith Yandel didn't. Play that one game. Good, good point. Good point. <laughs> All right. Hey, that's He's not no the Iron only man anymore. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's not the only heat I took. Look, and I, I, I think people who have followed my career long enough and certainly listen to this podcast know, if if nothing else, I try to be accountable or at least transparent. And so when people are are unhappy with my work or critical of my work, I try and engage them in a in a in a uh, professional manner. I don't. I try really hard not to speak down to people because. Um, I think a lot of people don't quite understand our jobs. And, and so instead of barking at them about, you don't understand journalism, like it's better to have a conversation that's a little bit more uh, nuanced and, and friendly. And so, look, there were a lot of people who in, in the course of the weekend were like, you know, the, the, the piece that you and Katie Strang and Dan Robson did, while was certainly um, uh, newsworthy, um, 
the timing was poor. And I like I want people to understand like we we grappled with that. Like don't, like please don't think that we were just like ah all right here we are rubbing our hands like that that was never the case. But I think we we felt comfortable and we did pivot a little bit. Like after he died, we, we pivoted and, and, and anybody who wants to hear our full breakdown of why and how we put this together, Dan Robson, Katie Strang, and I did a roundtable conversation with Sean Gentelli and Craig Custance last week that dropped on the Thursday show. And I think we did a pretty good job in explaining it. Um, but I think what I want to say is I, I like, we were never wait, like we weren't waiting for this man to pass away to drop this story. I, I hope that nobody thinks that that was the case. Um, we were always intending to run a story, but we can only run a story when we're journalistically comfortable with the information that we have. And uh, as it pertains to certain elements of that story, some of that didn't come into our hands until after he died. And, you know, we, we, we obviously had to pivot and make a decision, but I believe, this is my thought, Haley. Uh, when you're writing an obituary, which we believe that that's en- essentially what that ended up becoming, your job is to A, tell the truth, and B, give the full picture of somebody's legacy. Like, if you want a true obituary, that's what it is. And I think that there were a number of people who were truly disappointed that the coverage around his legacy in the in, in the beginning um, didn't touch on any of these things. Because he did some irreparable damage to some people professionally and personally. And they didn't feel that their voices were adequately reflected. And so when they came around to us and we we had that conversation, look, we, we waited 17 days. And and I'm willing to, to hear people that say that that's too soon. I think it was too late, to be honest with you. I think that it, in an ideal world, we, were, we would be able to tell that story five months ago. But journalistically, I don't think that we were at that point because people were afraid to share. People were afraid of litigation. We... At the athletic, I want to say I don't ever feel like I was threatened or worried about litigation because if uh, you, like the truth is the ultimate um, protector. Like if you can if you can prove that everything that you have is true, then you're in a great spot as a journalist. But you can't report on hearsay and conjecture. You can't be like, well, I heard he was this or that. Great, we all heard that. Hearing something and tangibly being able to defend it journalistically are two separate things. You know? Well, and that's I, the difference with some yeah. of the criticism you were getting was this is all unnamed sources. No, no, no. It's different. This isn't one person saying, hey, I heard this happened. This was not secondhand hearsay sourcing for you guys. It was months and months of work to get actual proof for not just journalistic reasons, but obviously legal reasons too. You can back yeah. up every single piece of information in an airtight story. That's not just loosey goosey secondhand sourcing. If it was, there'd probably be a lot more stuff in that story. If you could right. just take everything that somebody ever told you that they heard happened, that story would be 10,000, 20,000 words long, but you didn't do that. And that's kind of that was one of the criticisms I saw was it's all unnamed sources. No, it's a little bit deeper than that. You know what? You know what? I'm going to I'm actually going to tell a story right now that I hope will illustrate the challenges we had in putting this together. Okay. And this is one I didn't tell on the round table, but I'll tell it uh, to, to you and our audience here. And, and I think um, it, it greatly illustrates the absurdity of what we were dealing with. So, you know, at some point in, in the fall of last year, you know, you're chasing, like you said, we all heard stories and rumors about what was going on under the hood, but to actually ascertain like tangible evidence was a, was a challenge because people were afraid to speak. Mm-hmm. So somebody tells me uh, a story that, you know, at one point they heard Eugene Melnick paid uh, somebody back in pennies. He was so angry with this, this, this partner that he paid them back in pennies. And I thought, okay, well, that's a great anecdote and story that might uh, speak to his kind of, um, you know, a, a petty side or whatever. Okay, one person tells me this. I'm going to need about five or six on a story of that magnitude to mm-hmm. be able to corroborate that this happened. So now yeah. I'm phoning people and they're like, they're, you know, there's 10 seconds of pause. They're like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, I'm serious. Listen, somebody told me that this is the case. So we're chasing. And it, listen, I can tell you in doing my research, I do not believe that happened. 
But there's somebody out there that does believe that it happened. And maybe it yeah. did, but I can tell you that journalistically uh, and legally and ethically, I don't feel comfortable putting that out there because, mm -hmm. and, and everybody's got some crazy story. Well, guess what? I think only 20% of them might be true. Right. But, but this is the problem that you have is that um, you're running into a, uh, just stuff is so crazy that you're like, this is too crazy not to be true. So I have to chase it down. And then you chase it down and you're like, you, again, I want people to understand that the anecdotes that we got are in some cases, uh, I had seven or eight people confirm it. And in every case was at least multiply sourced. Okay. Yeah. And, and so it would be irresponsible if for the people saying like, we all heard about, the, yeah, great. You, I heard about it too. Haley, you heard about this stuff when you were on the beat in 2019, yeah. 2020. Well, hearing about stuff, I, I have enough and you have enough. I, I've been around you long enough and I've been with the athletic long enough to know we're not in the game of just tossing stuff out there. Like I heard this, I heard that. I yeah. like, that doesn't do anybody any Otherwise, good. Otherwise that story would have been done five months ago. 10 months ago, five yeah. years ago. And I just, you know, I just think that the story needed to be told. And it, I do wish that we had enough uh, stuff five months ago, but, but I, I don't want people to think that we were sitting on that. I think the, the, the thing that really disappointed me, Haley, was there was people that thought we, because we had worked on this story for a while, that, we, that it was sitting, waiting until he passed away. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think Katie said on the podcast, we were 95% done. I think yeah. that's an accurate number. 95 feels about right. Um, and, 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 and we're willing to, and again, we're having this conversation and we're trying to be transparent and just like we were in the round table. Um, but I just want to ask you real quick before we, and there's a myriad of topics here to get to around the league, yeah. but because you kind of covered the, not kind of, you covered this team. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, like as you hit to the bottom of that story, what were, the, what were the things that you were like, that you, you know, did you have any takeaways or were you kind of like, ah. I covered this team and, and, uh, I kind of, that's kind of the story I thought. Yeah. I think it was a bit of that, to be honest. I think I read the story and, and this isn't, and I don't even mean this as a criticism to you guys. I think, cause I saw a lot of, I saw a lot of comments from fans saying like, this was such a cathartic read, you know, fans were reading this. And I think a lot of people kind of knew on a surface level, um, things about the way that the organization was working and then actually reading it, they were like, yeah, okay, we've got a little bit more on this. So I think when I hit the bottom, I don't think I came away from the story saying I learned anything different. And I, that's not a criticism to you guys. That's just, um, this is what people knew, <laughs> honestly. And cause there are stories out there all the time. You talk to people in the organization or you talk to people in the community who had been in Ottawa far, far longer than I was. I think, I took a lot of heat when I first started on the beat because I wasn't critical enough of the ownership. I think I took a ton of heat because I, in a story, I remember this and fans were so mad at me that I had the audacity to simply call Eugene Melnick complicated. They were mad that I didn't use like a stronger tone or I didn't say enough bad about him. They're like, what do you mean complicated? What do you mean complicated? This is not complicated. Like he did all this stuff to us and you have the audacity to call him complicated. And I remember reading that and I was like, what else am I supposed to say without writing a thesis about this, this man's legacy and, and his time as ownership? And I think at the end of the column or the, the story you guys wrote, I think the overarching takeaway is that this was a complicated man. Yes. The story ends with somebody who he tried to put in jail saying, I love that man. This is a complicated person that we're talking about, right? It's the right, it's the right adjective. All human beings are complicated. And I think some of them tend to straddle the extremes a little bit more than the rest. And I think yeah. that that's what Eugene Malnick was. He was the guy who, Haley, simultaneously saved this franchise. And, and, and alienated then, the fan and base. Then, and it's, it's a very hard thing to accomplish in sports, to save a team and ultimately kind of help in, in their demise. Mm -hmm. in, in, in it's, it's, um, I think it's the perfect uh, anecdote 
to yeah. describe he's a human being. And yeah. and he did, and, and as we pointed out in that story, he did some wonderful things for people. Mm -hmm. um, and he did some awful things to people. Yeah. And I think he created the legacy. I didn't create the legacy. Katie didn't no. create the legacy. Dan didn't create the legacy. He created it. Um, we just tried to reflect that. And mm -hmm. but I I understand I want to make this clear. I understand the criticism of the timing. I hope people don't think that, oh man, uh Ian Mendes is heartless and soulless. He didn't think twice. I I had sleepless nights about this. I I'm there was no me. good time though, Ian, because no. no. You're it's either too soon. Or it's too late and you're now opening up old wounds. Um, there was, there is no good time for a story like that, especially when a person has passed. Um, and especially when they're alive and you do have the, not the fear, because I don't think you guys were afraid to do this. No. But you know that there's the threat of litigation. Um, and those are some of the things too that I don't know if people, and I don't want this to sound like we're talking down again, but it's like, I don't think people, and I'm sure they do, people in the market obviously know, um, in the Ottawa market, the threat of litigation is a real thing. I had worked on a story for a really, really long time uh, la when I was on the beat, and the story disappeared for very obvious reason. <laughs> um, you know, we right. had our legal team involved, and they said, I think we need to just scrap this because it's not worth it. Um, and that's a frustrating thing. There are legitimate hoops and barriers to covering certain things in that marketplace, um, which either completely scraps a story that you've been working on for however long, or it pushes the story to five, six months down the road to a point where you guys were at, which was, okay, we either have to post this immediately after he's passed, 17 days after he's passed, or we wait a couple more months. Um, and that's just the reality of, of covering things in, in that kind of situation where litigation is a legitimate threat and like it's a reality that's more or less going to happen regardless of what you put in print. Um, you just have to be prepared for that. So um, I will say one of the takeaways that I had after too was as I was reading through the story was not just what had happened, but the fact that it had been allowed to happen for a long time in that market. Um, I thought about the people that those things had happened to who stayed in those jobs um, because they were passionate about the Ottawa senators, passionate about hockey, passionate about doing a good job. There are some really passionate, creative and intelligent people who work for the Ottawa senators um, who weren't allowed to do everything that they creatively or intellectually wanted to with that organization for reasons you guys laid out. Um, those people, you know, I give them a lot of credit, but I just feel for them for the fact that that happened for, for such a long time. Like there were, in one of the instances, one of the women who worked for the team went to the league and said, this just happened. Um, and, and, it doesn't seem like anything reflectively happened to the sense. So I think about the fact that that was allowed to happen for as long as it did. Um, I think about, you know, people who enabled and allowed that kind of behavior. I think that's an element to this story that has been a little bit overlooked since the immediate aftermath has either been rage at you guys or reflecting on the actual actions. But I look at like, when you zoom out, there were people who allowed that to happen in this marketplace when it was some of these elements were well known um, and they continued for a really long time. So I think about that a lot too. Um, obviously I spent time in Ottawa. I didn't stay in Ottawa for very long um, <laughs> for reasons. And I just feel for all the people who worked there and I don't know. I, I just, I read the story and, and thought for all the people who work for that team um, who were treated that way. And I just think about how that was allowed to happen. But again, I, it just, I think that whole story just showed the complexity of Eugene Melnick because again, it ended on a note of someone saying, I loved that man so much. Yeah. So he did things, um, but he was also a dad. He was also a friend. I feel for his daughters, they're younger than I am. I think that's, you know, really, it's not, you don't wish that on anybody. You don't wish loss on 
on your worst enemies. Um, so I feel for his family, but you know, I know the hoops that you guys had to go through to get that stuff out. And those things happened like factually, like truthfully happened. So that's not your fault that you're reporting things that he did. No, no. And, um, you know, I, I think there's an opportunity now for everybody involved, the front office, the league, media, everybody who's been around this sphere to hit the reset button, to recalibrate, but to everybody should look in the mirror. And that includes me. Like, I listen, I, I'm, I'm more than willing to say, I wish I had uh, been able to do this earlier so that people didn't have to work in a toxic environment. I couldn't get it to that place. I couldn't, I couldn't get it to that place where it needed to go. Um, but I'm willing to say this will damn well never happen on my watch again. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm embarrassed that this happened on my watch. And I'm willing to say that it'll never happen on my watch again. And what I'd like to hear is for the National Hockey League to say, not on my watch. What I'd like to hear is from the organization to say, not on my watch. But I need to take some of it too. Because it happened on my watch and I tried to call it out and it didn't quite reach the right places, mm -hmm. um, y you know, and, and, and again, my, my means of being able to do that was journalistically and I couldn't do it. But, that, but that's a function of the institutional barriers that were put up to prevent that type of reporting from happening. Mm -hmm. It's a complex situation, but I look back and I think I should have tried, like I tried hard. I guess I could have tried harder. And I get it. It's I, not your I, fault, I, Ian. I, you can't blame yourself, especially like when you're talking about things on your watch that happened to the media. You weren't part of the PHWA at that time. You weren't the chair. No. You weren't the one no. who was supposed to protect the journalists who were mistreated in that market. That wasn't your job until it became no. your job. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's it's fair, but... But like that's not on you. No, but I think sometimes in the media we do a really good job of pointing the finger at other people and not being accountable. I just want to be accountable to the people of this city, to the fans of this city and to the people who work there. I should have, I, sh I saw, I heard about this stuff. I just couldn't quite put it all together. Um, yeah. and, and, That's and, not and your fault. no, but, but maybe I, maybe I, and again, uh, all I can say is, uh, I'm going to be better, uh, moving forward. Uh, I don't think anybody should have to work in a toxic environment. Um, and, and if I hear about it, I, I should do more. Uh, and, and I think what I'm hoping is for everybody to have a fresh start. I, I, I guess my point too is in all this, Haley, as we wrap this up, I can't demand that the organization take a fresh approach without me doing the same thing. If that mm -hmm. makes sense. Like, I think all of us need to just say, take a fresh, don't just I think we're well, really I hope good this at just allows everyone to turn the page, right? Turn the page and and start fresh. You know, there's yeah. like we said, there's good people in that organization, whether it's in the front office, whether it's on the coaching staff, players, marketing, game day operation. There's good people, um, and they should be allowed to turn the page on all this and just get to do their jobs the the way that they can, which is well. Like there's good people who work there who are talented and smart turn the page and, and do and, and do what you can, which is, I don't know, do your jobs well. Not that they weren't always doing that before, but we heard some stories about how it was, there was like a culture of fear there. Go to work without being afraid that something you do is going to get you in trouble. Go, go to work and be creative and, and try new things. Bring some excitement um, and creativity back and just turn the page on all this. I think that's kind of the next step really. All right, Haley, wouldn't mind just hitting on a couple of topics around the league. Only two weeks to go in the regular season. Uh, the Eastern Conference, all the playoff uh, slots are set. Like, the, the eight teams are set. Not the case in the West. And we're going to have a great battle down the stretch. And I, boy, this LA-Vegas race is compelling to me because I'm of two minds and I keep, I keep going back and forth. So help me out here. There's part of me, Haley, that wants to see Vegas make it and we get the McDavid-Eichel matchup in round one. Vegas mm -hmm. and Edmonton, it's a 2-3 matchup. So there's part of me that's like, man, I want McDavid-Eichel. Then there's the other part of me that's like, I kind of want Vegas to miss because they've just had, they've known nothing but success. 
I feel like their fan base needs to just taste a little bit of, uh, you know, adversity. How should I feel here? How should I feel about Vegas, LA, and that first round playoff spot or that, that, that playoff spot in the West? I think that it's kind of a win-win situation. Um, like you either are going to get, you know, you're either going to get the Vegas Golden Knights winning, like making it into the playoffs, and then you get to watch a first-round series between them and the Oilers. So you get the Eichel versus McDavid. You get the the whole narrative of are the Oilers going to beat them in the first round? Are they going to lose in the first round again? Is Vegas going to get hot in the playoffs and do their thing? Because when they're healthy, they are a contender. That's a really deep and dangerous hockey team. Um, so you get that element. But then if they blow it and they don't make the playoffs, it's really funny. <laughs> so Exactly. <laughs> I think it's a win-win situation. I already said last week that I would like to see them miss the playoffs. Um, they came in and beat Calgary the other day. Calgary looked terrible, but Vegas looked really good. Um, Eichel has like just a ridiculous shot. Like his goal um, – you watch it and you're like, not a lot of guys can shoot the puck like that. Like you either you either got it or you don't, and he certainly does. And I think that like Vegas matches up really well against almost anybody when they're healthy. And so I think they would give Edmonton um some difficulties. Um, because they scored, I think, five goals at five on five against the Flames. Maybe it was four. I think two were on the power play. Four goals at five on five. Like that's a good five on five team. Again, when they're healthy. And if they can stay healthy. So I think you get the narrative of the Oilers in the first round again, what's going to happen there. But honestly, like I, I would think it would be funnier if they missed the playoffs. Yeah. Oh no, it's uh, <laughs> it's, 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 it's like you said, I'm going to try to embrace the win-win. One other yeah. thing I want to talk about, I feel like the St. Louis blues very quietly mm-hmm. are on a heater here. Nine Oh and one in their last 10. And the guy I want to focus on for, for a second, um, this is one of the most fascinating stories of the year to me that I don't think we've done enough, spent enough time talking about. That's Vlad Tarasenko. Remember, this guy yeah. wanted out yeah. of St. Louis. And it felt like a lot of teams could have had Vlad Tarasenko. And then they didn't trade him. And now he's putting up more than a point a game. He's back to like being a 30, 35 goal guy. Um, like, boy, if I'm another team in the NHL, do you think they're looking, there's some teams that are like, like Damn, we should have we should have taken a run at Vlad Tarasenko because he's back to being what he was, and he's a key cog for that team in St. Louis. Yeah, I think that's always the concern that teams, or that's like what teams have to weigh when they're looking at players like that is is he actually going to return to that, and and what's he worth? And I think that's something for the St. Louis Blues too. I'm sure the Blues were like they weren't going to accept an offer on for pennies on the dollar for. Tarasenko last summer just because he'd been injured and and hadn't been playing well. They wanted an offer based on what he had been and what he could be, which is what we're seeing this season. And I highly doubt that offers based on how the Blues value Tarasenko um, were kind of there. Like this was the same issue with the Sam Bennett stuff. You know, I think the Flames wanted to trade Sam Bennett for what he could be and what he was, which is the highest draft pick that the organization's ever had but he hadn't played like that. Um, so I think there's always that issue of finding a general manager, or finding a team that can agree on value for a player like that who was injured and wasn't playing that great. So uh, a GM would have looked really freaking smart if they could have got Tarasenko yeah. in the summer for pennies on the dollar, but I don't think the St. Louis Blues would have traded him for pennies on the dollar. So that's always kind of the thing. Like, was this even possible based on the perceived market value of Tarasenko, I'm not sure. I think if there was, he probably would have been moved. But I don't think the Blues felt they needed to trade him for that. And it's smart that they didn't because look what they have. Um, I think the Blues are interesting. I think they're like almost underrated in a sense. I don't really know if they get a ton of talk um, as a Western Conference contender. I think Minnesota gets a lot of that. The Flames are getting a lot of that. Um, Vegas is getting a lot of chatter as they've gotten healthy and they're playing well. Um, obviously Colorado is the team to beat in the Western Conference. I think a Blues-Minnesota series is going to be incredible. Yeah. Like, 
And I think the Blues are more battle-tested. Like, I think the Wild are great. I think both teams have depth. Um, And this is – maybe it's just Daryl Sutter seeping in, but Daryl was talking about the Blues when they were um, playing against the Flames, I guess, um, earlier this month. Um, The Blues were in town, and and they beat Calgary. And and Daryl was talking about, like, that's a battle-tested team. They've won playoff games. They've won rounds. They've won a cup in the last – five, six years, right? Like that's a team who can get it done. They can play heavy hockey. They know how to play in the playoffs. Um, so I do, I do like the blues. I think that's a team, as I just said, they know how to do it um, when it matters most. Um, I like Minnesota as well. I just think that's going to be, I think that's the most likely matchup there. Um, it's almost impossible. I think it's impossible it that they, yeah, it's yeah. almost impossible that it won't be, because I think right now it's going to be either Colorado, Dallas, Calgary, Nashville. Then it'll be yes, Edmonton slash LA yeah. Vegas. And then Minnesota, St. Louis. And I think that's going to be a hell of a series. Like those teams are, I think, more likely than not going to, I think, do a lot of damage <laughs> to each other in that first round. Like that's going to be, that's going to be really fun. I think the first round's my favorite part of the playoffs, honestly. Oh, yeah. And, 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 uh, what I love about St. Louis Mini is if you had to tell me, like, right now, you got to pick one series in the first round that you're pretty sure is going to go seven games, I might be inclined to say Minnesota-St. Yeah. Louis. Mm-hmm. Seven games. And then it's like, what do they look like in the second round after something like yeah. that? You know? Are they going to oh, just it's fun. Yeah. completely destroy each other? And then can they kind of recuperate in time for the next round? Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Haley, time for us to, uh, to to connect with our guest this week, who, as I mentioned off the top, Joe Smith does a great job uh, covering the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning for us. Uh, with The Athletic, we bring him into the mon- uh, the Monday podcast. Joe, how are you on this Monday? Doing well. How are, how are you guys doing? Hey. Happy great. Easter. Yeah, happy Easter. Uh, happy Easter to you. Uh, hey, by the way, uh, I said that ham was super-duper overrated as like an Easter meal. Haley disagreed with me. Where do you come down on ham with e- with Easter meals? Uh, is it warm ham or cold ham? Is it heat? Like, like, warm. Like, like warm. It's not warm like ham. sandwich ham, Joe. Not not cold cuts here. Okay, <laughs> not like you know? not Oscar Mayer. No, <laughs> um, I'm I'm a big fan of ham actually. Like, but I know I'm I know turkey is like a big thing for like Thanksgiving, but we also have ham on Thanksgiving as well. Um, Easter, my wife usually does a brunch at our house. We have like. Uh, um, like an egg bake thing with some sausage. And then she makes this bunny cake. That's like chocolate mm-hmm. with all the different kind of frosting. It looks like a bunny actually itself. Um, so, but yeah, ham, I would, wouldn't mind ham on, on Easter either. So especially when you don't have like, you know, meat for like the whole time of Lent or whatever like that, you know, to have it on Easter kind of thing. So, so my mom made a cake <laughs> shaped like a bunny. Like she made a carrot cake, but it wasn't like just the bunny head, you know, the like with just like the circle cake with the two ears. Like she made a cake that like legitimately looked like a rabbit, like laying down. Like full body. Like, like the full, full body scale. of a rabbit. Like it took her forever. It was I don't know. It was a small rabbit. It was to scale if you laid out like a small bunny. And it was really funny. It took her forever to make. And it had like the legs and a head, mm-hmm. the body. And then she put like she just went over the top. Like she put the bunny on. Like green coconut shavings to look like grass, and there was like <laughs> jelly beans, and it had eyes, and I don't know, it was really funny. It took her forever, and it was a good cake. It, you know, it's just you put all that effort to make a cake that looks like something for literally two people. 
me and my dad, <laughs> and then it doesn't look like a bunny anymore almost immediately. You feel bad eating the guy's ears off, right? You know, or yeah. Just, you know, it's like I'm gonna start with the head. Yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah. hey, Haley, you're gonna need to tweet a picture of that bunny out for our listeners, okay? So that we okay. we understand <laughs> what cake. what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> and as much as we'd like to just talk uh, cakes and pastries with with Joe, we did bring him in uh, to talk about the lightning. And it's funny, but like I wonder, like a lot of people are, are thinking, look, the lightning have hit a bit of a speed wobble last month or so. Like, are they? Are they playing possum? Are they reserving their energy? Is there reason for concern? Like, what's some of the talk going on in Tampa around the uh, the defending champs here? Could it be like a big rope a dope kind of thing? Yeah, for game one, you know, yeah. like uh, you know, I, I think you know, it's when you have win two Stanley Cups in a row, like you said, a, a really incredibly high standard, and uh, I think people sometimes don't appreciate how hard it is to play that well for that long. And uh, I think they went the first 56 games without losing two in regulation back to back. So, um, you know, clearly I think there were some fans that were concerned, especially in that month of March when they were struggling. I think they're one nine and one in the last 11 games against playoff teams or teams that are in the playoff position at this point. So, you know, I would say that they're not obviously playing their best or other teams are obviously seem like playing better Toronto's Panthers kind of thing. But um, I think for them, as long as they can come into the playoffs healthy and kind of refining their game, like they have the last couple of games and bits and pieces, getting it together. I think that's all that they would ever want is to be healthy with their, their 12. They have up front and the 60 and they have the best goalie in the world. Are we the best defenseman in the world? Uh, you know, they have depth up front. So they have all the pieces and they know the recipe to win. It's just a matter of, you know, can they overcome some of the teams that have gotten a lot better the last couple of years because the enemy has a vote too, as John Cooper always says. And some teams feel like this third time, you know, probably Toronto feels it's the third time, you know, the Panthers feel like it's third time. So it's, you know, just a matter of having to muster that desperation up and, and be able to, to beat them going forward. How do you view their seven, four win over the jets? Like within that context? Cause obviously when you just look at that, win, you're like, Oh, is Tampa back? Are they yeah. elite? again but then you zoom out and they're they're what um you know one nine and one in their last 11 against playoff teams Mm -hmm. um in your story so how do you view that game was that a potential you know um jumping off place for them to start ramping up ahead of the playoffs or is that just a flash in the pan against the jets well and we'll find out this week against the leafs on thursday right um beat them pretty good a couple weeks ago here in tampa if that's kind of the real test or measuring stick if you want to call it that but I think the third period against the Jets was kind of a recipe what they want to do. The first couple periods, I think, obviously they fell behind by a couple goals. They were, you know, uh, left a lot of openings up up, up in front of the net, in front of Vasilevsky for, for tips. And Vasilevsky's pulled for the first time in like three years, three, four years in the regular season. So it was kind of a wake-up moment for them. But the third period, they played like the Tampa Lightning are used to playing. And they're playing fast. They're out of their own and quickly. They're not defending much because they're always in the offensive zone. Nikita Kucherov, you know, show why one of the best players in the world. Um, other best players are the best players. So that's kind of a jumping off point. If they can do that against, you know, Detroit and then obviously against Toronto, that'd be more of a probably a measuring stick to see if they're quote unquote back or not. But for them, they have six, seven games to get back. They don't have anything to lose right now other than playoff positioning and seating. And we can talk about that later of who's the best matchup or not. But um, the third period for sure was kind of a template for what they want to be like. Uh, they just need to do it more than just one period as you know, in the playoffs for that to be able to, to work. You know, you mentioned potential playoff opponents and boy, it feels like they might be on a collision course for a round one date with Toronto. I know Boston's kind of sitting there in the rear view mirror. There could be some, some, some last minute jockeying. Let me, let me phrase you, uh, phrase the question this way. Let's say Toronto has home ice advantage and they're playing Tampa. Who should be the favorite in that series, Joe? Um, I think I think still Tampa should be until someone beats them. I think they should be kind of the favorite. Um, I think Toronto's playing better right now uh, going into the playoffs. Um, as you know, they won the playoff series in a quite a long time. So I think that maybe you know mentally the Lightning have an edge in terms of the experience and knowing when it takes. But um, I think that'd be a heck of a series. I'd love to cover it. I'd love to cover seven games of that um, high flying and kind of thing. So, um, but yeah, I, I'd be curious if it's a you know two three matchup. If they were with 108 points, 106 points, who is the favorite in that series? I don't know what you guys think. You guys probably see, you know, Toronto quite a bit too. Well, I'm in the I'm on the West Coast, so Ian Ian mm. saw them most recently. I mean that that game. I watched um, most of the Sens Leafs game on Saturday before I went to the rink, 
Um, and that looked like a playoff game. Um, mm-hmm. The Leafs ended up winning in overtime, but that was a good game. But I agree with what Joe said. Like, this is, we're talking about a team that nobody's beaten in the playoffs since 2019, so it's hard to call them an underdog, regardless of where they're at in the last 10 games of the regular season and in what seed they are. I, I don't know how you can – it's hard to bet against them, especially against a team who hasn't gotten it done in the playoffs, right? I don't know what you think about seeing the Leafs, though, Ian, how they looked the other night. To me, the, the great equalizer in all of this is Vasilevsky. Like, I feel like Tampa can win a series – and they're not maybe firing on all cylinders, if that makes sense. I don't think Toronto can do that with average goaltending. I just, I just don't think they can. I, I, I don't, I, I don't think whether it's Calgren or uh, Jack Campbell, they're gonna have to, they're gonna have to somehow outplay or match Vasilevsky. That's my fear for Toronto is that Andre Vasilevsky is gonna bail out. Uh, look, it happened to them last year with Carey Price, right? Didn't it? Didn't, didn't you feel like Carey Price stole them a series? Everyone would... knew that Carey Price, like Car- that's why Carey Price, regardless of what he does in the regular season, there's always that thing with like you don't want to play against Carey Price in the playoffs. Yeah. It was the same thing with like Henrik Lundqvist. I was a Penguins fan growing up, and you love Henrik Lundqvist, but you hate Henrik Lundqvist because he stole playoff games in series away from teams because he was just that good. Um, and I'm curious to tack on to that question too, though, Joe. What are the what's the Lightning's strategy going to be with Vasilevsky? Or you know, because I think the priority for teams with goalies who have the ability to steal playoff games and, and rounds um, are they going to rest him down the stretch? You think and and go with uh, like Brian Elliott more, or are they going to make sure that he's sharp and confident heading into the playoffs? That's a good question. And it is a delicate balance because he's the kind of goalie who, who wants to play and loves to play and feels he plays better when he plays more. Um, but the plan all along was to give Elliott four of the final 10 starts of the season. Um, he got to start the other night. Uh, on, uh, and so I think they're going to have um, a chance for Elliott to play maybe three more of these games down the stretch. They'll have a, two, a couple back-to-backs left, so he'll play at least one of those two games and then something else. So. Um, it's a, it's a balance because they want to give him restful. Also, he's the kind of guy who feels better when he's playing more consistently. But yeah, I, I think, that, you know, Vasilevsky is a great equalizer in a lot of, my, in a lot of people's minds, in my mind too. Um, you know, he's clinched every last five series with a shutout. Um, but he's played better because they played well in front of him. And so if they can play better defensively and get back to that kind of identity that won them some of the series last year, including the Islanders one in Montreal, um, That'll be a different thing for them. You know, Campbell outplayed Vasilevsky last time they played in Tampa a few weeks back. And, um, you know, the question would become, could he do that over a seven-game series? And I think a lot of guys in Tampa would put, to, put their money on, on Vasilevsky, for sure. Uh, you know, H- Haley and I, uh, we were just chatting about the Ottawa Senators, and we both had a chance to cover Nick Paul a little bit in his career. We always think, you know, Nick is a really – uh, he's a he's a great guy, real um, almost like a cerebral thinker sometimes. Mm-hmm. Really uh, reflective, sensitive guy. I I always liked working with him. Thought he was a great uh, great person to interview. Just curious how Nick Paul is fitting in in Tampa after about a month or so. Well, he's been terrific. Uh, both you know just as a person and just being around the team, he really seemed like he meshed well with the guys and his personality. Um, he said him and his fiance moved down. Their two dogs already down, moving into a house soon, so getting more comfortable off the ice and. On the ice, he's been at advertised. I think Cooper said he's been better than he actually initially thought he would be coaching against them versus playing with him, like as far as he has better hands, you know, obviously tough in front of the net. Um, in a high compliment they could give him is putting him on the line with Kucherov and Braden Point, you know, uh, a few games into his tenure here. So um, they think they have a really good one here in Nick Paul. And I would be surprised if he has a big uh, playoffs here uh, because they need those kind of other guys other than the top players to deliver in key moments. And he seems like a guy who could rise to the occasion. Um, in, in, big, in big moments he has in his career in world world juniors and world championships he scored the game winning goal um so i think he has that pedigree as a matter of that's that's kind of hockey that makes big paul even play better is the competitive intensity the when it matters the most so that's something that they're hoping to see from him uh next couple months we already asked you like who would be the favorite in a series between like toronto or tampa but who do you think is the ideal opponent for the lightning in the first round of playoffs um, well, at this point, it looks like it would either be like Toronto or unless Boston goes on a run and makes it, you know, set two, three matchup, um, or catches them. So either be Toronto or 
if Tampa falls to that wild card behind Boston and have to play like Carolina, um, you know, I think Toronto would be a, a better matchup for Tampa than Carolina would be uh, personally. And I think they might be, I mean, I think they're going to be an easy opponent. They're likely automatically going to win, but I just think the way that they, the style which they play and maybe the advantage lighting having in net there with, with Vasilevsky um, help them there versus Carolina's style play. They've always been tough for lighting to, to beat and play against. And I think with the group that they have on their blue line would be maybe get a, a hard series for them. So I think if you had to pick, you know, one of those two, I'd say, you know, whether they open up in the, at home or on the road, maybe Toronto would be that team. Uh, one more for me here, Joe, just to wrap up. You mentioned Nick Paul has been, you know, good on that line. Mm-hmm. Look, we got a lot of listeners that are probably getting into hockey playoff pool season and they're looking at, and look, obviously everyone knows Kucherov and Stamkos and had, could you give our listeners like another sneaky pick or two, somebody who like in a mid to late round in a playoff pool might give you some points if the lightning go deep? Uh, Ross Colton. I think Ross Colton would be a guy uh, you could probably get middle rounds or something like that, or late rounds. And I think he has like six goals in his last 10 games. Um, he's playing with Stamkos and Palat now. Uh, as you know, he scored the cup clinching goal against Montreal last year, and it's just really grown a lot uh, this year as a player. And you see him every day after practice working with Jeff Halpern on his shot and already has one of the top shots on the team. So I think he's a guy who I could see beyond the Kucherovs and, and that kind of thing, you know, having a sneaky good playoffs as an X factor there. If you're looking for somebody that's not going to be in the top two rounds or something like that, I think he'd be a guy to be a smart play. I guess my final question for you, Joe, are you ready to cover a real playoff series for the first time in the last three years? Cause you weren't really around the last two, were you? Cause it was all zoom or were you there at the end last year? Last year, you know, it was, it was more um, in the buildings, right? So I was in like the Islanders for game six when they lost and they threw all the beer on the ice and the Coliseum and stuff like that. So like, being there in person, definitely um, the first the year I was watching it on TV, you know, all the games from the bubble because we couldn't go to Canada. So I watched the game. They won the cup from my dad's couch in Michigan and watched them <laughs> in the cup. And it didn't feel like that actually happened, you know. So um, last year was definitely better to be close in around the team and, and the building when they did win the cup in Tampa. And this year, I think it's even better just to be in person interviews kind of things that are back for us. And you guys can talk about that in your on your show, how important that is to access and to the stories for our readers that we want to bring to them. So, um, yes, it's, I'm ready for a playoff run. I'm ready to do it in person and ready to travel. So that'd be a lot more fun than, than watching on TV, um, at home the first, uh, the first time around. All right. Well, listen, you might be coming our way or close to it, uh, North of the border. If we get that Toronto Tampa matchup, uh, in round I one, I live in Calgary. I said <laughs> closer to me. Maybe I would love yeah, to go to Banff to again. I'd love to go yeah. to Calgary and visit Calgary Haley Rocks. and get some, some cakes from her mom and then go to, Banff and enjoy that. So yeah, my mom's in Toronto, so the, the oh, Toronto, I'll okay. get my mom to bring a bunny cake. Okay, I will Sounds specifically good. try to get my mother a media pass so she can. Oh my god, she would love that. She loves making. She would come to the rink with a giant cake. And <laughs> giant be all cake excited. for Joe. Yeah, I would. I would. I would We've go to her. That cake. Here. <laughs> <Here's>, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like my mom would do that same thing to any for anybody. So, yeah, um, I didn't so. get the like friendly, approachable. Gene from my mom. You were friendly and approachable and welcoming when I came to Calgary. We had dinner together and hung out. Ian so. wouldn't agree. <laughs> <laughs> Ian has more experience. I could, I could trust his uh, yeah. opinion on that. So, Did you guys see somebody in the comments for the Tuesday show was like trying to figure out who would win like an Anchorman style um, brawl between all of the athletic hockey show hosts? Like all the days, oh. and somebody said that the Monday that our show like wouldn't do well because I would be the nice one who was trying to like mediate peace the whole time. No, you would. Uh, fight and Sean dirty. and Max were like, uh. "No, no, no! The, she has fooled them. Like Haley is not the nice mm-hmm. one." I was like, "No, yeah." <gasps> it's the yeah. sneaky ones you're scared about, right? The sneaky ones that yeah. look nice on the surface, but then they'll in a backyard brawl would, would take you out or or do something. Yeah. So it's really funny because I do wonder who would win. Like, I think the Thursday show might win based on numbers alone, and you don't know what Sivian's capable of. Yeah. Well, well Granger's got some size, too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that would be. I think the. the he's I think a goalie, can, so he's a weirdo. We could we can all agree that the, we, we would dust the Friday show with Max Boltman and Corey Pronman. We would. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. Yeah. That's that's the. That's the, eight, that's the eight <laughs> seed right there. That's the eight <laughs> seed. 
And oh, I love Max I love as Michigan it. man. So yeah. uh, Max oh, would it. probably jump ship and go to the Tuesday show because he knew Corey was not going to fare well. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, though. You know, teaming up with Sarah for like a, a fashion story and seeing all the comments and how she handles those, I think she's pretty tough, too. So, yeah. you know, there's... Uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a fun story, by the way. That was a really thanks. fun, unique... I love those. those are, that, we just need more of those stories. Like, show the personalities of the players. There are so many guys that have so many great personalities that they just want to be shown and told and you know and so the comments in the story range from the best thing i ever read to what the heck are you doing who cares you know and i <laughs> yeah. think so it's kind of a <laughs> the back and forth but i thought it was fun Sarah thought it was fun and the players were all were all for they're, it so they were all in uh, it. yeah all right hey listen awesome stuff we, we we unearthed some great stuff as we were trying to say goodbye to you we got some <laughs> great stuff but hey listen thanks for dropping by and uh safe travels wherever uh the stanley cups playoffs uh playoffs take you here in uh, in round one Sounds great. Haley, I'll see your mom in Toronto. I'll be ready for it. <laughs> okay. So. Let us know if you want to be on our battle royale team. Okay. I'll give you have a guest appearance. You can have somebody yeah. you can bring some like ringers in. <laughs> yeah. That's right. We're looking for members. Yeah. I did okay in the flip cup challenge we did about a couple of years back in the boat in the Oh my god, I forgot challenge. about that. Yeah. So we need to we need a rematch in that one. I'd like to get, yeah. get up and take care of that. So <laughs> take care, guys. Have a good one. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, Haley, uh, we've had a jam-packed show here. Why don't we wrap it up like we always do on the Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show with a little segment I like to call Multiple Choice Madness. All right, got a couple of questions here for us to tackle. Let, let's start with this one. Haley, as we're closing out the regular season, I'm going to give you a list of four names here. These are all guys that are in the top 25 in league scoring, so they're having great years. Which of these guys do you think just didn't get enough buzz or national love for being in the top 25 in scoring? Is it A, JT Miller of the Vancouver Canucks? B, Kyle Connor of the Winnipeg Jets? C, Jake Gensel from Pittsburgh? Or D, Nashville's Matt Duchesne? Who didn't get enough love this season, Haley? I feel like JT Miller has gotten a lot, and maybe that's just because I follow the Canucks and some Canucks writers, but I do think JT Miller has gotten quite a bit of attention, especially around the trade deadline, because he was expected or... Um, at least early on, he was a trade piece. So I think that kind of generated a lot of the chat of like, look at how good this guy's playing. And the conversation around him went from, is he a trade piece to, oh my God, there's no way that the Canucks can trade him because he's playing so well. So I don't know if I would say JT Miller. Um, I'm kind of torn between Kyle Connor and Matt Duchesne. I can maybe understand why Kyle Connor's not getting a ton of love because Winnipeg hasn't been very good this year, and there's been other things that have kind of dominated the conversation around that team. First, it's Paul Maurice stepping down, and then the team not doing great. Um, so I kind of want to say Matt Duchesne. Like, Matt Duchesne kind of goes hand in hand. I don't think people were really talking about Roman Yossi a lot until the last month or so, where now it's kind of like we're watching him, you know, almost potentially take away the – the Norris from Kale McCarg. And, and I don't know if people's really been talking about Matt Duchesne enough. I was looking at, um, you know, the NHL stats page to look at where, you know, Kachuk and Lindholm and, and Goudreau were. And when I was looking at goal scoring, I hadn't realized how many goals Matt Duchesne had scored just because people haven't really been talking about him in that way this season. Like when I was looking, I was like, oh, <laughs> Matt Duchesne is what, 38 goals, 36 goals or something right now? I don't know what it exactly is at this point, but I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, hey, Matt Duchesne's popping off this year. Uh, 39 goals right now. I don't know if a lot of people knew that. So I'm yeah. going to go with Matt Duchesne. You know what? I'm going to go with Jake Gensel because, like, if you had told me that, like, like I, I knew Matt Duchesne was having a good year. I knew, J like, like you, I feel like JT Miller, maybe because he was kind of in some trade rumors, like he was kind of in the news cycle. Kyle mm -hmm. Connor, I've seen people say, like, he could get to 50 goals. You could have told me that Jake Gensel was in the top 25 in scoring. I wouldn't have believed it. He's got 30 even strength goals. Like, Jake Gensel isn't, like, this guy that's just, like, riding the power play and, <laughs> um, you know, putting up godly uh, 
obscene numbers. Like Jake Gensel has as many goals, I think, even strength as Johnny Goudreau this season. One and, more. And, oh, even strength, yeah. Even strength, right? Right, and uh, I think the same number as Kirill Kaprizov, and like some of these guys that are having kind of MVP caliber seasons. And I don't right. think, like for me, that I realized Jake Gensel was having that year. So I'm going Jake Gensel for me, the guy that just deserves a little more love. I think he's not getting a ton of attention because, you know, Sidney Crosby came back from, you know, his injury problems. Then he came back, then he got COVID, then he took a little while to get going. But since the, like, I think a week or so after he finally came back from COVID, since then he's, like, one of the top scorers in the league from that date point um, behind Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, like, those guys. Like, Crosby's, like, right there. I think he has 80 points Right. In the 64 games that he's been in, and we have to remember that the first like seven or eight games, like maybe even 10 games of the year, Crosby was not was not Sidney Crosby. And so since then, Crosby's just been Crosby. And so I think that's probably overshadowed what Jake Gensel's doing a little bit. But I think the fact that I don't even remember like were there conversations about Jake Gensel not playing well when Crosby was hurt or was he still popping off earlier in the season? I honestly don't remember. This year has been incredibly long. <laughs> so I think that might be part of it, but I I don't know. I feel bad because I watch the Penguins a lot, but I really don't remember if he was playing well when Crosby was still hurt or if that's a byproduct again. But I think Gensel has done enough to prove that he's not just good because he's plays with Sidney Crosby, right? Yeah, I, I think so, like I think I, he's I, done I, enough. I think he's not he, just he, a byproduct. He's a good player. <laughs> yeah, like I think when he first came into the league, he was like you kind of felt like he was this like rando guy with a weird like he was number fifty nine, right? Like he's yeah. you know, like this guy just is going to be a random classic penguin guy that you know just kind of rides the coattails of the big guys. But he's been I, I feel like he he. He had a pretty good start. Yeah, you know what? He had eight points so, in his first 10 games. And, and he had 15 points in 14 games in November, including eight goals. Like, he's yeah. basically been a point-a-game guy Yeah, all season from November so. onward. So he's. I think he's been fairly consistent. I, I, I just yeah. think he's kind of been... I think, and sorry to keep talking about the Penguins, but I think that's just like a credit. They've been so good at... It, you know, everyone makes the Mark Donk joke or whatever, and the Penguins just always seem to have somebody who pops up when there's an injury who's just good. And I yeah. think that's just a really good credit to their professional scouting staff, um, but also their professional development group. Um, you know, there always just seems to be a young guy who can come up and not Mark just slide Donk, into isn't the... That, isn't that the name that everyone throws? Is it Mark Donk? Yeah, the the Mar- there's like name? the Mark yeah. Donk, like yeah. everyone makes that joke, like, yeah, this is the new like Mark Donk, but you know the Penguins do a really good job at um, not just drafting and developing guys who can do that, but they do a really good job through college free agency um, because Jim Rutherford would trade so many of the draft picks. Like you have to be good at finding those young players elsewhere, and they've done a good job um, via college free agency. They've got some good college free agents over the years who've you know been able to go and play in the American League, and then pop up in the NHL and be like, oh, <laughs> hey, just put him on Grosby's wing. He looks pretty yeah. good there. And he's going to score 20 <laughs> goals easy. All right, let, let yeah. me ask you one other question. Multiple choice madness. And our listeners, you can always play along. Uh, which team needs to win the draft lottery the most? Okay, so at the end of the year, of course, they put all the, the names or the teams, they get the lottery balls. Which team needs to win the draft lottery the most? Is it A, Arizona, B, Seattle, C, Detroit, or D, somebody else? I mean, when you're talking about who they who needs to, it's probably Arizona. Like they need top end talent that they can actually keep in their organization for a long period of time and grow around them. But like in terms of who I want to win the draft lottery, I want Detroit to win the draft lottery. That team has been screwed over so many times yeah. in the draft lottery. Like they have fallen. I've Max Boltman and I did this when I still covered the Sens. We did like a little draft lottery roundtable thing because both teams technically lost the draft lottery to the Rangers. Um, and Max did like crunch the numbers of like how many spots that team has fallen over the years. And it's just a lot. <laughs> and so I would like to see Detroit, even though they're on their way through their, you know, rebuilding path um, for Max Boltman. And for the Detroit Red Wings fans, I would like to see them win the draft lottery. I don't know how much they need it, 
because um, they've got some top-end talent already. I mean, everyone needs to win the draft lottery if you're in a rebuild, but I would like to see Detroit, but I'm sure it's probably Arizona with the biggest need. Seattle's got like 30 draft picks in the next couple of years or something. I don't care if they draft first overall next year. Yeah, and they got Maddie Beniers is up there now, and they've got you're some, some fine talent. Seattle. You know what? I I think I think it you're is fine. Arizona. Arizona for me, and I and I feel bad because they got to play in that. Likely playing that five thousand seat arena next year, and it's it's just you know what like it's not going to be a, a fun vibe for that fan base. It's not going to be fun for the fans in Arizona to go through a season. Like it would be great if they had Shane Wright. Like maybe they're in a smaller venue, but hey, we got Shane Wright, and we can watch this kid play. And uh, you know what? And, and but I agree with you. Detroit has had some terrible luck with the draft lottery. So the the the, the lottery gods probably owed Detroit one. I think so. But give me Arizona. Because I just, I feel like that fan base has just been punched down on. Yeah. For way yeah, too Yeah, that's long. true. Way too long. All right. Hey, listen. Haley, we're going to leave it there. Uh, we're going to remind everybody um, that uh, if you got an opportunity to uh, uh, leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, we certainly appreciate that. You can subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Get all of the bonus content from our entire network. 30-day free trial, 99 cents a month after that. Right now, you can subscribe to the Athletic uh, for just a dollar a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. 